We've made it to Luke chapter 11. Let's turn there. I'm also going to have you go to Matthew 6. We're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer today. Luke gives us a kind of the skeleton of that prayer, and then Matthew puts more flesh on it. So um, since we don't speak on the Lord's Prayer, in fact, I can't do justice to it in one sermon. Not even close. We're going to, I'm going to leave you frustrated this morning. I know that. Um, let's uh, look at Luke's version of this prayer uh, in Luke chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. Please stand for the reading of God's word. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say these words. In fact, go to uh, Matthew 6 now, or you can just listen. Matthew 6, verse 9. Really, I want to take back those words, uh, say these words, because those words aren't in here. It's, it's, not, it's a model of prayer that Jesus gives us, and here it is. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. Now go back to Luke 11. And skip down to verse 9. Not that those verses aren't important, but again, I can only cover so much. So I say to you, this is Jesus talking. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. The one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, love how Jesus just sneaks that one in there. <laughs> if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. And uh, if you're paying close attention, the Trinity is in this whole text. Father, the Son is teaching, and it ends with the Spirit. So this is God's word. You can be seated. I love this question. Um, It's the question, teach us. I'm a parent, and I love it when my kids say, teach me, Dad. I'm a coach, and I love it when my players say, teach me, Coach. It's, it's, it's the sign of humility. It's the sign that uh, we don't have everything figured out. And this is coming from a bunch of guys who grew up in a culture of prayer. I mean, they, they, they grew up hearing uh, praise, prayers prayed several times a day in their home. They went to synagogue on Shabbat, and much of the service was, was prayer. Uh, temple, and their time in temple, it, it, it was a house of prayer. It was supposed to be a house of prayer. So it's not like these guys are a bunch of seekers, 
uh, wondering how to pray. Then why the question? Well, part of it is in that day, uh, a rabbi with, with his disciples would teach them their own special prayer that would kind of explain the meaning of all prayers. Uh, John obviously did that with his disciples because it's in, his, in the text. And now the disciples who have come from John over to Jesus are saying, Jesus, teach us your prayer. And, and this prayer then would, would, would be a model for prayer. and It would be the last prayer that they would pray every night before they went to bed. And so this is the prayer. Now, before we get into it, let's just start with this question. What is prayer? And I don't even want to assume that this morning. What does it mean to pray? Because one of the most basic truths from God's word is that God invites the human race into this conversation with himself. To talk, to listen, to commune with the living God. And this goes all the way back to the beginning when God put Adam and Eve in this perfect environment in Eden. Um, Every evening, it says, in the cool of the day, God would show up. I almost picture him putting his arm around the two of them and said, just let's talk. Let's walk and talk. How'd your day go? How's it going? How's the garden doing? How's your marriage doing? God wants to be in this conversation with us. He made us for that. And one of the tragedies of the garden is that Adam and Eve didn't want to talk to God anymore. In fact, they went and they hid from God. But God then comes looking for them and he says, where are you? Because he he wants to bring them back into dialogue. Let's talk. I know something horrible happened today. Let's talk about it. And so God from the beginning from the very beginning, has been inviting the human race to talk, to have conversation. I'm married, and and, and really this is why Libby and I are are, are two best friends who who do life together. It's, It's simply because we talk and we listen, and we start every day together talking to each other. And we have a cup of coffee on most days. We, we, we talk, and then we go our separate ways, but we, we stay in touch with each other. We either call each other. We text each other. Um, so much of it is, is just informal. Very, very little to nothing is formal. Trust me, Libby would like for some of it to be formal because there are really very few dates in this whole thing. However, that's marriage. Most of you who, who are married know exactly what I'm talking about. It's, it, it, it's doing relationship at the deepest level through, through talking. This is prayer. And I think sometimes we, 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 we've so formalized it or religionized it or ritualized it that we forget what it means to pray. To pray simply means to talk to God. In fact, the Jews uh, in that day um, had this word called Kavanah because so many of their prayers were liturgy that were recited, recited both in the home and in the synagogue. And when you're just reciting things over and over again, you can lose the heart meaning. So Kavanah speaks to the heart. And what Kavanah means is, is it, it, it's the direction of my heart. 
And it's this idea that at the heart level, everything I say, everything I do is before the face of God. So that prayer then is not just something formal that I do, but it's something that I can do all day, every day. When I work, whether I'm praying or not praying, but I'm doing everything, whatever I say, whatever I do, I'm conscious of the fact that I'm doing it before God and that God's with me. That's Kavanaugh. And that's how we pray without ceasing. Now, Jesus here is teaching us now how we are to talk to God. And something we, we, we need to consider, I think, before we even dive into this prayer. Is I want us to know who we're being taught by here. This is more than just the greatest person to ever live. live. This is the second person of the Trinity. Who's been in... Communion, fellowship, at the deepest level, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, throughout the ages. And he now is teaching us how to have fellowship with God. Um, that, that, to me, makes, this is why this prayer is so, so important. And really, I think through this prayer, um, Jesus first wants to teach us about the actual person that we're conversing with. I don't know if you ever have this, but I have this kind of quite regularly in this world of text. And because I'm not a good organizer, administrator, I don't have all the names and contacts in my phone. And then I lose my phone and I lose all my contacts, so I'm always starting over. So I'll get a text. I'll wonder, who's this from? And rather than right at the outset saying, who, who is this, I'll just text back and act like I know. And you laugh because you do the same thing. (laughs) And we will have a whole conversation. And I'm still like, who is this? So finally, I just have to ask, who is this? I know, you guys, some of you have been there, done that. Some of us pray that way. We have no idea who we're talking to. And see, this is why Jesus starts this. He says, when you pray, say, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed or holy is your name. And I think one of the most basic things here is that that Jesus wants us to know that God has a name. And a name means that God is not this impersonal force out there, but that God, he has a name. He's personal. He's a person who we can relate to and speak to. In fact, in Jesus' day, the Jews knew uh, God by the name that God gave to Moses. It's the personal name of God. It's it's Yahweh or Yahweh. And the Jews so revered God, so revered his name that they didn't speak it. In fact, to this day, they refer to God's name as the unutterable name of God. So when they talk to God, they simply address him as Hashem. Hashem simply means the name. And you might criticize them for this, but before you do, I want you to know what's driving this. Because you need to understand that to them, a name is more than just a label attached to someone, but it literally defines the essence of that person. And of all the things that God is to them, he is first and foremost holy. Holy. Holy is the Lord God Almighty. 
And do you know what holy means? Holy means to be set apart as special, which is why the Bible can speak of holy cups and holy plates and holy clothes and holy places and holy days and and, and a holy people. It simply means that these clothes and places and days are set apart for something special. And this set-apartness is something that's attributed to them. It's not something that they originally are in and of themselves. But with God, when we say, holy, 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 this is who he is. He is so beyond, so other from what we are. He's indescribably something other than we're not. Which is why I personally need creation's help to even get even the smallest sense of God's holiness. I think this is why the, he- the psalmist says, The heavens declare the glory of God. Day after day they pour forth speech, which is too marvelous for us. Because tell me, what's greater, the creation or the creator? The one who made it or the maker? And so David says, when I consider the stars and, and the work of your hands, all that you have set in place, and he didn't even have the science that we have today to know that we are just a speck, not even. And so Jesus teaches us that when you pray to God, pray holy is your name. But the one that we're talking to is 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 so beyond us. And this is why I regularly have to ask myself, do do I approach God with this sense of awe and wonder when when we talk about God, when we sing to God, when we pray to God, when we think about God? Do we have this indescribable wonder that fills our souls when we're talking to him? And I'll see this. By what name does Jesus say you are to address this holy, holy God? Call him Father. Papa. Daddy. Think about that. That the creator and the ruler of the universe... Jesus says, call him Father. And this doesn't diminish God in any way because as the creator, he still owns us. And as the king, he still rules us. But he's more than just king and creator to us. The king and creator of the whole world is our Father. That's a game changer for me. This literally changes my heart. It changes my heart by melting my heart. Because I have a father. I have a father who is so not perfect, but it's hard for me right now to talk about my father without tearing up. I have a father who believes in me, who's always believed in me, who still believes in me, a father who adores me, A father who loves me, 
Yes, a father who pushes hard things into my life. But I just know he is unconditionally committed to me. In fact, every sporting event I ever played, I, if I'm honest, I, I, I played it with my dad in mind. My dad's watching me right now. Thought, thought that all the time. Even now when I preach, every now and then, he'll be sitting out there and I'll be like, my dad's in the house. Literally, that, that thought will cross my mind, especially if I'm thinking, shoot, I'm going to probably get an email for this or someone's going to criticize me for this. It's like, my daddy's bigger than you. <laughs> Come on, we never outgrow all these things, right? And then through marriage, God blessed me with another dad as good as my dad. Another dad who just adores me. I adore him, who's a hero to me, who I just look up to and respect. I saw him at my daughter's basketball game this week, and I just walked in the door, and I saw him sitting there cheering on my daughter, Kate, and on my heart, just said, I love that man. And I, I, I say all this just knowing that, that some of you haven't had a dad like this, and, and you're saying, I, could, I can't even imagine having a dad like this, but yes, you can. Because that's why you're angry right now, and that's part of the reason why you're bitter, because our hearts have been made to know the love of the Father. And we do have an idea of what this father should be. And we do have an idea of what his love is supposed to be. It is why some of us right now are deeply disappointed. In fact, all of us, myself included, our dads will let us down. They can't possibly fully be what our hearts long for them to be. We all, to some extent, have a father wound. That's because God made us. To know the love of the Father. Augustine said God has made us for for himself and our souls are restless until they rest in him. And it's not just so that we know him as God and know him as king. But our hearts need to know God as Father. That's what Jesus is getting across. That's what the Bible is constantly teaching. That we have a God who wants to be addressed by us as Father. And think about what that says about us. If God is my father, it means at the core of my identity right now that I'm not a pastor, I'm not a husband, I'm not a coach, I'm not the sum total of my successes or failures, I'm not how good or bad I am, I'm not how spiritual or unspiritual I can be. That's not who I am. I am first and foremost a son. A son. And the creator and the king of the universe is my papa. I'm going to tell you, this truth has changed me like no other truth. Because whereas the holiness of God, it, it literally it humbles me, it crushes me, woe is me. The, the fact that God is my father, it exalts me, it lifts me up. So Jesus says, pray, holy father. Or a father who is holy. In fact, this is the main work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. 
Uh, Galatians 4, verse 6 teaches that, but I'll read Romans 8, verse 14. It says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you received, which is the Spirit of Christ in us, the Spirit does not make us slaves so that we live in fear again, but rather the Spirit that we received brought about our adoption to sonship. And by Him, the Spirit inside of us, our hearts cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Which is why this text begins with Father and it ends with the Holy Spirit because the work of the Spirit in our life is to get our hearts to see that God is our Father. Now let me just, I know I've spent so much time on this, but let me explain why this radically affects how we talk to God because so many of us don't think of God this way. We think of God more like a boss. And if you think about it, bosses are people that we need to please. Bosses are people that we need to work hard for. Bosses are people that we need to produce. And, and, and with our bo- boss, it's, it's all about our performance. That's why we have performance reviews. Even our self-image with, 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 with our bosses, it's, it's based completely on how good we are, how well we perform. And I'll think about, if, if, if this is our conception of God, how this gets worked out in prayer. Prayer then becomes a technique. It becomes something that we need to do just right. It's kind of like the genie in the bottle. Now it's like, i got to just rub it just right. And if I rub it just right, and if I perform it just well enough, maybe God will listen to me. Or if I'm just good enough, or if I'm spiritual enough, or if God can see all my effort. In fact, Jesus uh, addresses this whole thing in the Matthew 6 version of the Lord's Prayer, just prior to him teaching the Lord's Prayer. Um, he says this in verse, Matthew 6, verse 7. He says, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father already knows what you need before you ask them. Do you know that? And this is why Jesus says, he says, don't, don't, don't treat God like he's your boss, where you have to perform for him, where you have to babble like the pagans. In fact, this babbling is just, am I doing well enough, God? Well now, God, am, am, am I sane enough? Am I passionate enough? Am I performing well enough? God is not our boss. God is our father. And because he's our father, he is unconditionally committed to us. He loves us unconditionally. He adores us unconditionally. And Jesus says, pray to him like that. In fact, I know this is a father. My kids, like me, sometimes are good, and sometimes, let's just say they're not so good. It's like their dad. I'm sometimes good, not so good. Sometimes even, you know, we get off the rails a little bit. And I know this with my kids, especially oh, when they're younger, when they got off the rails. In that moment, it's not like my heart liked them less. My heart, like, liked them more. 
They didn't get less of my attention. They didn't get less of my affection. They got more of my attention. They got more of my affection. And why is that? Because I'm not my kid's boss. I'm their dad. I love them. I burn with love for them. And this is what Jesus is trying so hard to drive home. God is our Father. God loves us this way. We can rest. We can be at ease. We don't have to be so touchy. We can handle criticism. We can fail. We don't need to feel this this, this need to always perform. Why? He's our dad. I mean, look at verses 11 through 13 of Luke. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you good gifts? Again, God is your, is your Father. This is one of the reasons why I don't quite get fasting. Well, the Bible talks to us and tells us to fast, but I can't find it in the Bible where it t- tells us to fast except if we are in sackcloth and ashes and coming to God in repentance. I don't see this fasting where you do it to get something from God or you do it to get God to show up in power. And a big reason of why I don't get this is because of my own dad. I would never do that with my dad. I would never feel like I need to, like, do all these things before I went to him with a simple, Dad, can you help me? I just go to him. Hey, Dad, I need help. Hey, Dad, I need a ton of help right now. I think with 24-7 prayer as well, it's something our church does. It's something we're committed to. But I want us to be careful that when we step into prayer, that it doesn't become all about us and this work and this labor that we need to perform because God is our boss. He is our papa. That's why Jesus says, he says, if you need something, just ask him, seek him, knock on his door. Father, I need help. It's not a boss relationship. It's a family relationship. He's our father. Okay, now I need to move into this prayer, and I'll do this kind of quick. From this prayer, we not only learn who God is, but Jesus gives us, I think, a, a, a beautiful window into God's heart. Because I think this prayer tells us what God cares about. So as we pray this prayer, and it doesn't mean we have to pray it word for word, but as, we, as this becomes our pattern of prayer, our heart's going to be conformed to God's heart. So what's God's heart? What are the things that God cares about? Well, we already talked about this. First of all, care, God cares about his name. The Bible tells us that God has placed his name on his house, the temple. It also says that he's placed his name on his son, Messiah. It also says that he's placed his name on his people. We bear God's name. And I'll tell you, to bear someone's family name is not only a high, huge privilege, but it comes with massive responsibility. 
How do you wear God's name? The second thing that this prayer teaches us, it it, it tells us that God cares about the world, that he cares about every inch of it, which is why Jesus teaches us to pray, may your kingdom come and your will be done. Where? Where? On earth. On earth, on earth, on earth, as it is in heaven. See, God's heart is that earth would once again be a perfect reflection of heaven. Do you know that God is not going to throw away earth like a piece of trash someday? He made it. He loves it. He's going to redeem it and heal it and restore it and reconcile it to himself. And guess what? We get to participate in that right now with him. And one of the primary ways that we get to participate with God in this is through prayer. This is why we pray. This is why we pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's one of the primary ways. Prayer is the primary ways in which God's kingdom comes to earth. God's kingdom is God's rule. It's praying God's perfect rule into marriages and God's perfect rule into our neighbors and into our street corners. Praying God's perfect rule into our schools and into our cities and into our nation. It's praying God's perfect rule into the whole world. This prayer means some things. It means that God cares about lost souls. When's the last time you said a prayer for lost people? It also means that God cares about things like injustice and racism and hunger. It means that God cares about the environment. God, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And you know the answer to that prayer? We already have a, a picture of, of, of the answer. It's, it's Revelation 21 and 22. Go read it sometime today. And that's when the earth becomes heaven. That's when heaven comes to earth. That's when the kingdom of this world became, becomes the kingdom of the Lord and of his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. That's where it's all moving. But until that time, we get to partner with God in bringing the kingdom. And one of the primary ways we get to do that is praying, may your kingdom come. Now this prayer also teaches us that God not only cares about the cosmic but he cares about itty-bitty you and itty-bitty me. He cares about us. Jesus teaches us to pray, give us. We can pray for ourselves. We can pray the words, God, give us. Now notice that we pray these words after we have already prayed your will, not my will, but your will be done. So everything that we ask for uh, is done with this in mind. It's not my will, oh God, it's your will. And the reason why we, we pray God's will be done is because God's will is good. It's perfect. 
And, and it's good and perfect even when it doesn't seem like it, when it doesn't feel like it, when it doesn't look like it. And I know some of you right now are in a place where it feels like God has given you a snake and a scorpion. And you're like, what? This is just where we have to trust him. This is where we have to understand that his ways are higher than our ways. That he is working out this perfect plan. And that in the end, it's all going to be good. This is where we need to understand that we're just little children. And he is our father. And I remember when my kids were young, I'd say no to them. They didn't understand. I'd lead them to places that they're like, what? They couldn't see. They didn't know. But their dad did. You know what worry and anxiety is? It's, it, it's thinking that we know how our lives should go and that God somehow isn't going to get it right. That's what worry is. You know what bitterness is? It's thinking the same thing. We know exactly how our lives should go and God didn't get it right. That's bitterness. But if God is our Father, it means we're just little kids We don't know what God knows. We can't see everything that God sees. But we know one day, God's going to turn every one of our tears into diamonds. He's going to spend all of our suffering into gold. Because this is what fathers do. Which is why we can pray. Your will be done. True prayer is not a way to get power. True prayer is a way of giving up power to the one who has all the power. Notice the parameters that Jesus provides in in this petition. Give us today our daily bread. Bread in that day is their word for food. And it, it, it refers to more than even just food. But everything I need to live. Not live for 50 years, live for another day. Daily, daily bread. Not monthly bread, not yearly bread. Jesus says, pray for your daily bread. In fact, for the Jews, this, of course, brings, them, brings to mind when their people were in the desert, when God shepherded them. Where every day God gave him just enough. He gave him just enough shade. He gave him just enough water. He gave him just enough manna. He gave him just enough grace. He gave him just enough mercy. In fact, if they stored up more manna than they needed for a day, that manna turned into maggots. Because this is what it means to have childlike faith. When God is our father, we are his children. Our faith then is to be childlike. We are to trust him. Do you trust his daddy's love? He's got us. He's going to give us exactly what we need and when we need it. And basically what God says he's going to promise. He's going to give us just enough for today. He's going to give us just enough pasture, just enough shade, just enough strength, just enough grace, just enough manna. That's what he's going to give each of us today. And this is hard for us. Oh! Let's be honest, this is, this is, what? Because we want to live with the security of, of not just having enough 
for this week or this month. But we want the security of knowing we have enough for the next five years. God says, that's not how it works with me. Jesus says, you know what? You can worry about today, and that's it. You don't get to worry about the next day or the next day or the next day. Each day has enough trouble of its own. In fact, in Matthew 6, when Jesus is talking about worry, he's not just saying do not worry, but he's explaining why we are not to worry. He, gets, he always gets to the why. What's the why of why we should not worry? Oh, you of little faith, you have a heavenly father who loves you, who knows you, who cares for you. Trust him. Now, the last part of this prayer is not God give me, but God make me, God change me. And I think so often we, 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 we pray to see God change our world or to change another person or to change a marriage or to change a situation. And, and prayer is, is effective in all of that. But at, at the end of the day, prayer first and foremost changes me. It changes you. And I don't think there's a petition that changes us more than this petition that Jesus teaches us to pray. He says, pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. <laughs> you see what this is asking God? This is asking God to, to, to make us, to make me, to make you into forgiven people. Do you know what it means to be forgiven? It means you not only know your sin and all of it, but you're also willing to acknowledge, acknowledge the effects of your sin on other people and how it's hurt other people, and namely, how it's hurt God. Because Good Friday is coming up, and we are going to celebrate what God did for all sin once and for all. And it cost him his son. That little guy is saying amen right now to that. (laughs) Because that is an amazing truth. When I celebrate Good Friday, I can't help but think about all my sin that put Christ on that cross and put scars in him. The Bible says he has to this day. And see, this is what it, it, the, the prayer is, God, make me a forgiven person. This means it, it, it's humbling, it's humiliating to go down this road, not just to acknowledge our sin, but to see the effects of our sin and the way our sin has hurt other people. But then to know what God has done with our sin and how he has forgiven our sin, it's so exalting. It's so free. We don't have to live with it. Romans says there's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Think about that. So to pray the Lord's Prayer is to pray, God, make me a person who lives forgiven, which means when I'm hurt, I can forgive other people. Because I've experienced God forgiving me of my sin. I'm telling you, this is a power that changes us. It changes our whole world. There's nothing like receiving forgiveness and then giving forgiveness to people like ourselves who don't deserve forgiveness.
powerful. And see, this is God's heart. God's heart is, he does not want to count our sins against us, but he wants to forgive us. And then when you look at how he forgives us, we're going to celebrate all that with Good Friday on the horizon, how he does that through Christ. It's, it's just mind-boggling. Finally, the last petition. Lead us. This is the humble recognition that we are nothing more than sheep who need a shepherd. That when we look at our lives, we know we can't handle life alone. We can't handle life's temptations. We can't handle the evil one in our own strength or our own spirituality. It's, it's the understanding that we're vulnerable, that we're weak, that we're like little children who need their daddy. This is the prayer of complete dependence. I'll never forget my first night when I was in Jerusalem and our family went there for a whole semester and I got there a few days early. And so I got there. I was missing my family. I found a place to go eat and uh, there's this Jewish family. I couldn't understand what they were saying because they were speaking in Hebrew across from me. Um, Young little kids. And they had this little two-year-old daughter who, through the course of the meal sitting right across uh, the aisle from me, fell off her chair. And she really did hit herself pretty hard. And you know that whole pause? And then the ugly face? (laughs) And then all of a sudden it came out of her. I don't know that much Hebrew. What came out of her mouth was, Abba, Abba, Abba. She just started crying. Abba. And her dad came and ran to her. Abba, Abba. Her dad's comforting her. I think that was the first time where it really hit me. What Paul is trying to teach us about who God is. What Jesus is trying to teach us. That we're nothing more than little children who have fallen. But we have an Abba. Father. Daddy. Who loves us. And the reason why we can pray this way, the reason why we can know that he really is a father, is because Jesus not only taught us to pray this way, but Jesus prayed this prayer. Starting in Gethsemane, when God places that cup before him, that that cup of all God's wrath for all sin, where God essentially says to him, Son, to forgive them, you're going to have to drink this. But if you drink it, we can bring them back into our family. Will you do it, son? And Jesus prays, Father, not my will. Your will be done. And then on the cross, as people are rejecting him and mocking him, spitting on him, torturing him, killing him, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. And see, Jesus prayed this prayer not to give pow- get power, but to give up power. And, and, and in so praying this prayer, God's kingdom has come to earth so we today can know we have a father who loves us for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son.
And this is why we can pray this prayer. This is why we can enter this prayer. Is Jesus taught it and he prayed it. With that being said, today I just want to end in silence. I'm going to ask you to enter a season of prayer. We're together, so it's corporate. But I'm going to put the words on the screen of the Lord's Prayer. I want us to pray it to God with Kavanah, with our hearts, knowing He's here. And I want, it to, want us to pray it with our words in silence. Let's pray.